So, we have been in the Gospel of John, and uh, as we have uh, been looking at this, our whole um, idea, or the, the point of the Gospel of John, according to the evangelist, John, is that we would see Jesus, and that this Jesus... That not only would we see him, but if we see him, we would believe in him. Not only would we see Jesus and believe in him, but that if we would see Jesus and believe in him, he would give us life in his name. So that is the, has been the aim of all of our messages for the past four weeks. And it, again, it is uh, my aim this morning from John chapter 6. Um, as we look at the word this morning, we're going to pick up in in 622. So before we do, though, I want to I want us to think a little bit about uh, a couple of things to get us primed to see what's going on here um, in this text. This morning, do you and I have an expectation of what we might hear about this Jesus? Maybe. The Jesus that I want this morning would tell me that I'm okay, just as I am. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning would take away my brokenheartedness. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning will completely take away my financial struggle. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning will rid me or my family members of illnesses. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning will convince everyone who's in opposition to me. He will convince them that they are wrong. Maybe that's the Jesus I'm looking for this morning. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning is really only concerned with my comfort and ease in this life. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning desires only that I be happy. Maybe the Jesus I want doesn't demand anything from me. Maybe I want a Jesus this morning that doesn't demand a thing from me. Maybe I want a Jesus this morning that excuses my poor behavior. Maybe the Jesus I want agrees with my view of the world. Maybe the Jesus I want this morning agrees with all of my relationships. Maybe the Jesus I want desires that I suffer never again. That that in this life no suffering would ever come my way. What will you think and feel and do if the Jesus that is proclaimed to you this morning is the Jesus who came to fill your deepest need? What if the Jesus we met this morning came to meet your deepest need and still left you in want? What if the Jesus that you meet this morning, he fills your very deepest need? Will you Believe in him if you don't have everything you want. Will you love Jesus if the Jesus you need says that for a little while you may suffer? Will you obey this Jesus when everyone else in the world tells you to do something other than that? When the way of the world is entirely different than the way that Jesus might tell you to live, will you still obey him? Or will you abandon Christ? Or will you betray him? 
And I know a lot of us think that maybe we don't betray Christ. Maybe those of us who are in Jesus and have walked with Jesus for a long time don't think that we are like Judas and that we don't sell Jesus out. And in some ways, I think that we do. That we sell Jesus out, that we betray him. We betray him for the Jesus that we want. We say, I want this kind of Christ. I want this kind of Savior. I don't want the one of the Bible. Because sometimes the one of the Bible demands a lot of me. Sometimes the Jesus of the Bible tells me that life is going to be pretty tough. Sometimes the Jesus of the Bible tells me that this suffering that you are currently going through, this struggle and relationship that you're in, is for you. I love you and I gave this to you. This is for you. This is the Jesus we need. It is the Jesus who does deep, deep soul work. So as, as I think of this text and this passage this morning and I, I look out amongst the congregation and those here, I can't help but think that this in some way is a crowd. That as I look upon the crowd, there is an expectations that may be different across the room of what Jesus you want to hear about this morning. What drew you to his house? And did you come with some expectation that the Jesus I want, the Jesus I want will rid me of all of these maybe ancillary things, but do I really, really desire the Jesus I need? And then when I think about crowds, I thought about the lives that we live outside of the body, outside of our Sunday gatherings, and that where we go, there are crowds everywhere. And that God has given us a crowd to live among. There's a crowd among them, among us. Uh, There's a crowd in our schools. There's a crowd in our workplaces. There's a crowd in town that we proclaim a Jesus to. Is Is it the Jesus that meets the deep need of a person? Or do we give them the Jesus they want? And that's not the Jesus at all. Because isn't the work and the work here of the evangelist in this text, the work of Christ as he was on earth, the work work of Christ's followers is soul work. Isn't that our work? What is ministry but soul work? When we we talk about um, discipleship amongst each other, what are we doing with each other? But deep, deep soul work. That's the work that God has called us to. The work in the world, when we look at those who are lost and without Christ, their deep need is deep soul need. They have a deep soul need. And that is the need that Jesus came to meet for them. That is the need that Jesus came and met for you and I who have put our faith and trust in him. Well, now, let us pray, and we will jump into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Word again. I pray, Lord, that today, that by your Spirit and by your power, 
you would convince us of the truths within it, that you would also convince us of our great need, that we would rightly worship the Jesus of our need and not the Jesus of our want necessarily. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up in John John 6, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So the crowd was motivated to follow Jesus because so far as he fit their expectations and filled their needs, so far he had, he had fit what it was that they expected of Messiah, of this Jesus to come. So far, he was, start, he, was fi- he was fitting what it is that they thought their felt need was. Jesus had been healing the sick. And the crowd that followed then were looking for more signs that he, and might, he might indeed be Christ, the Messiah. Jesus, seeing the crowd coming, he sees their felt need and he feeds the 5,000. That crowd then subsequently follows Jesus to Capernaum. And they came that that he, Jesus, might continue to supply their felt need and their want. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus proclaims you have a greater need than sustenance in this life. Your soul needs food that only God can supply. God has set his seal upon me to fulfill the deepest need within you. And what works must we do to be doing the works of God, they ask. And Jesus answers with a single work needed to bring eternal life. And I want you to notice who is at work. Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Well, you can't work. You can't earn it. This, my friends, he says, is the work of God that you might believe in him whom he sent. What was the work of God? He sent his son. What is our response to believe? Do you believe that that God sent his son? This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. You see, it is the aim of the evangelist on penning this gospel. We've talked all along about this. 
Because John says in 2031, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is the aim of the evangelist. Why? Because it is the purpose of Christ. The aim of the evangelist is that you would believe that he penned all of these words, put them down on pages for us uh, uh, millennia later, for us to look at, that we might believe that God sent his son, Jesus, for us. This is the aim of the evangelist because it is the purpose of Christ. Because it is the purpose of Christ, it is also the purpose of the preacher. And because it is the purpose of Christ, you, it is the purpose of you. It is the purpose for you. Because you are a person who has put your faith in Christ. It is your purpose to make Jesus known. That the crowd that we interact with might see and believe that God indeed sent Jesus. And by believing, those in our crowd might have life in his name. But we must bring them the Jesus that they need. We must bring them the Jesus that they need. Because how often has it been that we have not gotten the Jesus that we need? Or we thought we didn't get the Jesus we need because we didn't get the Jesus we wanted. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I still have financial struggles. I'm the follower of Jesus, but I still got relationship issues. I'm the follower of Jesus, but it seems like everywhere I go, people are opposed to me. It's not the Jesus that I want. The Jesus I want makes it all easy. But the Jesus I need saves me. The Jesus I need promises to give me even more. He promises to give me eternal life. Let's look at verses 30 through 33. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that, that we may see and believe you? What work do you, you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Show us a sign that we might see and believe you. Our fathers were given a sign when Moses was God's instrument of salvation from Egypt. God had an instrument of salvation from Egypt for us in Moses. And, and God gave us a sign. God gave us this bread from heaven. What sign do you perform, Jesus? How will you prove yourself to me? How will you do this, Jesus? What sign will you show? And Jesus replies, God was the one who gave the life-giving, life-sustaining bread. It was not Moses. The bread from heaven is God himself who comes down from heaven. He says, he's going to say, and quite boldly, that he is the bread. 
verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Does that remind you of our message from last week with the woman at the well? And Jesus tells her that he has life-giving water. And she says, give me this water always that I may not have to come back here again. Take away from me my embarrassment. Right? In her mind, take away, take, take away from me my embarrassment. Take away from me my thirst. Take, take away from me this, this desire for my felt need. Take this away so that I don't have that to, to be concerned with. And Jesus is, is doing soul work. He says, the water that I give to you, it will be a well springing up to eternal life. He says, I'm concerned about your deep need. I'm concerned about your soul. And these guys' response is, again, sir, give me this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, give us this bread. I am. Give us this bread that I might have life. Give us this bread that I may never hunger again. And Jesus' simple response is, I am. It reminds me of what he said to the woman at the well, doesn't it? As she's there and he's, he's discussing this with her about this thirst. And she says, could this be the Christ? He says, I, who am speaking to you, am he. He says to these guys, we... Give us this bread, give us this bread always that we will never hunger again. And Jesus' response is, I am. I am. Is Jesus the I am for you? Is Jesus the I am for you and for me when it's tough? Is Jesus the I am when all of our circumstances say that this is not the Christ that I really wanted to follow? That this Christ seems to be pretty tough to follow because my circumstances haven't changed all that much. Do we then go, Jesus is my great I am? Sometimes when the evidence isn't there, that's where faith comes in. Faith and trust that Jesus is the I am. And maybe you won't feel like it. Maybe you won't feel like it at first. But I say that if we turn and we praise him, he will change the affections of our heart. So, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, I want, would certainly recognize, wouldn't he? Wouldn't the Jesus I want certainly recognize my righteous works? Wouldn't this 
that this man whose father and mother we know sent from heaven for us to believe, wouldn't this Jesus certainly recognize my own righteous works? This is not my notion of Messiah. This Jesus is opposed to my cultural, religious, traditional understanding of Messiah. This Jesus that we proclaim seems to be different. This Jesus seems to be harder. He's taken away the notion of what I, my preconceived idea of who this Christ is going to be. Who this Christ is for me. Have we ever heard messages preached on Christ that all you have to do is turn and believe and you have this grandfatherly figure from heaven who is going to make all of your life easy and comfortable now that you're struggling. What you need is Jesus, people say. There's a big struggle in life and they say you need Jesus. If you have Jesus, then all of this, the, the, the thought then is all this, all this is going to go away. Then when you, I had this misconception. I really did. As a young man, I thought that as soon as I came to faith in Jesus Christ, that I would never, ever sin again. I thought that something happened like immediately, that because I saw this Jesus, that if I put my faith in him, I I trusted that, yes, he was indeed God in the flesh and that his way was the right way, that his way was the only way. And that if I was going to have life, I had to follow him. And then I found out, like, really soon that, no, I keep sinning. This is not the Jesus I want. But the Jesus I need works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? That's the Jesus I need, the one who's working in me. Not the Jesus I want. So... In 44 through 46, let's read that together again. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So we see, if you believe in me, it is only because the Father drew you. If you believe in Jesus today, it is only because God the Father drew you. If today you are hearing his word in your ear and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that this morning God the Father has drawn you here, that you might see Jesus. Your works, your tradition, your religious practice will not reveal the Messiah. It is, as we saw from verse 29, it is the work of God. It is the work of God that he sent his son. It is his mercy and grace and the kindness of the Lord God to open blinded eyes to see the one that he sent from heaven. It is God who works in us. It is God who opens our eyes. It is only God. Think about this. It is only God. There's a big charge for an evangelist to go out and just and spread the word of God. And I have really sort of a heart to do evangelistic work, right? But I've come to this, this sinking sensation that I w- there's no way that I will ever, 
ever save anyone. Ever. I can tell the truth about Jesus till I'm blue in the face. But it is only God who would draw them to himself. Right? If it were up to me, I'm undone. If it were, if it were all on me or it were all on you to save the lost, if it's your job and if it's your duty, I think we should all give up and go home. Because you can't do it. And I can't, it's an impossible task. It is only God who can save. It is only God who convince us of his truth. It is only God who can take the words of Scripture and introduce us to a person. It is it's such an amazing truth that I came to know Jesus from reading his word. Because I think about that. These are words on a page, and I've read many books. I've read lots of them. None of those books introduced me to a person. None of those books made me, took a dead man and made him alive. None of those books took a man who couldn't see anything and opened his eyes. None of those books did. But the God of the Bible and his word, that is what brings us life. That is how we can see Jesus. It is an act of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I am the bread of life. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you have been granted eternal life. If indeed you really, really believe. Notice that at the end of this passage in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus paid it all. Did we not sing that this morning? If you're going to have life, Christ had to die. This is the Jesus we need. We need a Savior. We need a Savior who could die a death we couldn't afford to. We need a Savior who could live a life that was absolutely impossible for us. We need the perfect sacrifice. We need the one who wouldn't stay dead. We need the one who was risen again to new life. We need that Jesus. That is the Jesus we need and sometimes that might contradict the Jesus that we want. Verse 52, then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have no life in you. Think of that. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. How do I participate in the death of Christ? This is a hard saying, isn't it? It's a hard thing. They, they oppose this idea. Sounds a little cannibalistic, right? Maybe in there. In, and maybe it sounds that way to you a little bit this morning. He says, you must feed on my flesh and drink of my blood. How do I participate in the death of Christ? That's the question. How do I participate in the death of Christ? How do I eat of his flesh and drink of his eternal life-giving blood? How do I do this? Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you may be quite familiar with this passage in verse 7. Uh, beginning of verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. How do we participate? The cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, our foolishness, even offensive to the natural mind. For the gospel reveals the depth of our need and our total inability to save ourselves. When we trust in our own cleverness or obedience or resources or abilities, we abhor God's grace. But when God kindly deconstructs and takes apart our, our highly lifted up self-sufficiency, our hearts come alive again. And I keep thinking in my pastoral more often than you might know, in my pastoral role more often than you guys know, when people have presented me with their life issues, with their marital problems, with their work problems, quite often my reply is really simple. If you want to live, you're going to have to die. If you really want to live, you're going to have to die. In your dying at Christ reflecting death, you might show the life-giving Christ to those opposed to you at work or at home. You might find freedom from that which you treasure if you'll just die. If you'll just die, you might find freedom. You might not even know you need freedom because I find great pleasure in this. And I say that thing that you find great pleasure in, it, in is a shackle. You might find life if you'll just die. You might find that your relationships will be healed if you'll just die. If you'll take all that that means and eat it with a spoon and ask for a second bowl. Ask for a second helping of death. You might find life 
you might find restoration in your relationship. You just might need to die. Well, I can't help but tell you this, because you must know this, that this has often made me unpopular. Um, it has it has definitely upset some folks' delicate sensibilities. But the Jesus that they need, greater than the Jesus they want, Jesus calls us to die that we might have life in him. He calls us to feast on his flesh. He calls us to feast on the death that he died for us. That we might participate also in his resurrection. And that by his blood we've been given a new life. A new life in him. So when we see Christ as he really is. I want to ask us all this question this morning. When we see Christ as he really is. What kind of disciple will you be? What kind of disciple will I be? Let's look at 60 through 66 of John. I think I should get to the right book. I was still in 2 Corinthians. Um, We'll get to the right book here. Um, When the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who those were who did not believe and who it was who should betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and have believed. And, and we have believed and we come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve was going to betray him. Will you turn back? When the Jesus we need is the one that we hear about that we must die, that we might have life. Will you discount Christ as he is and choose to call yourself a Christian and serve the Christ of your own making? Will you serve a different Jesus? And Jesus declares clearly here, the flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help at all. Your sentiments, your tradition, your mental assent to Christ cannot save you. What you feel, what you think about Christ, what you may have been told about Christ, the traditions of the churches that you may have been in that were handed down to you, They are of no help at all. Your flesh is of no help at all. It is the work of Christ. He is yours. If only you believe in him. In his way. In his life. In his truth. 
there were those who continued to believe. Are you those? Will you and I answer like Peter when it's really, really tough? Will we say, where will we go? I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to go. Because I know that in you, you have the words of eternal life. I can't look anywhere else. Where would I go? When it's tough, as tough as it is, when it's contrary to my self-centered desire for comfort and ease, when it's contrary to my desire for self-preservation, will we be those who say, your word, Lord, is where I find my life. It is in you where I find life. Or will you be those who go along with the community of his people, not really believing the one whom God sent? There are those, I believe, in every crowd, in every church, that go along with the body of believers and they stay in the community. They stay in the community and they are not indeed Christ followers, but they stay in the community and their outward efforts make us think that they might be. And all along, they're betraying the one who saved us. All along, they live a life outside of us contrary to the gospel. They don't die. They don't die for the sake of you and the sake of others. They don't die that, that we might have life. They're just going along, pretending to be part of the community of believers. I ask you some questions today. Have you seen Jesus? If you have seen Jesus, will you repent and believe? Has God quickened your spirit this morning? If God has indeed quickened your spirit this morning, to you, he has granted eternal life if you believe in your heart that he is the son of God. If you confess that God indeed raised him from the dead with your mouth. Has the Spirit of God convinced you and convinced me this morning of any area of our life that must die? Is there a place where you must participate in the death of Christ that you might truly live? If that is us, and I think it should be all of us, I don't think there's a soul in here who could confidently say, upon real listening to the Spirit of God right now, could say, nope, there's no area of my life that I need to lay down. There's no area of life that needs to go to death. There's no area in my life where I don't need to go back to the cross. There's no area that I need to take there. I've got it all together. I've figured it all out. I'm living my life in Christ always. I think for all of us that there is an area where we must participate in the death of Christ this morning. We must. And if we do, here's the promise. This is good news, friends. That if we participate in the death of Christ this morning, laying our sin upon him, laying our sin upon the cross, going back to that place where his flesh was broken and beaten for us. His spilled blood shed for our redemption. If we go back, we might truly live. 
He tells us that we would truly live. That is good news. So I'm going to say this. Let us all repent and believe this morning. Amen? If we all do that, God will give us life. And we will have life in his name. Amen? Amen.